there is a gender identity crisis. Let's talk about it on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello, everyone. Dr. Johnny here, and this is another episode of Pushback. We need to hit the ground running as we talk about a very important and sensitive topic today. But before I do that, I have to remember to ask a favor of you uh, as my listener. Uh, as you very well know, thing are, things are being censored on social media, and as we try to boost these posts, even my last week's post uh, about uh, systemic racism and evolution, uh, Facebook is declining, uh, as they have on several instances, uh, boosting the post. And so there is some censorship going on uh, in Facebook and other social media platforms. And so what we are asking is if you get a Facebook link or connection or willing to go to our Facebook page, uh, either uh, through pushback, uh, pushback or pushback culture, uh, org or through our GoFam media webpage uh, or through email. Anyway, we contact you and you see a Facebook post. If you could share that uh, to your friends, it would help us tremendously get this word out and continue to spread the message of the important aspect of culture. Uh, and as I share my heart each and every week. So thank you for considering that and doing that for me. We need to uh, get this spread apparently the old fashioned way <laughs> uh, because there is some resistance, but we're going to keep pushing back Back in that regard as well. Uh, and it's important that we don't lose hope. And it's important now more than ever that we continue to let this message get through, uh, no matter how hard or how long it takes. <coughs> I want to talk today about a topic that I, I believe over the next several weeks and months will go in several different directions, because it is multiply uh, uh, nuanced. Uh, and but it's so important. And I do want to say right off the bat that this has uh, some adult topics and very serious uh, uh, issues connected with it. So again, I would uh, sort of rate this podcast as PG-13 and uh, have parents use their discretion uh, as far as younger children listening to this. Uh, currently in the news, uh, there is a bill before Congress called the Equality Act. And this is something that's been on the forefront and in and of itself, the word Equality Act doesn't sound so bad. Uh, and, and some of the uh, important pieces and, and facets of it could be considered to be noble. Um, however, there are other aspects uh, that uh, have sort of a um, concerning aspects to them as a culture for sure. And I will get into the nuance of the Equality Act uh, maybe over the next couple of weeks, but I feel like I need to address the main issues first um, because we need to know exactly what we're talking about and what we're dealing with. <coughs> so when we talk about an identity crisis, I believe that all humanity to a certain degree struggles with identity crises or crises. <laughs> 
And a and these identity crises uh, or crises directly affects the way that we behave. It's because we're human. I'm assuming everybody who's listening to this podcast are human beings. And uh, let me put it a better way. Because of identity crises, we behave a certain way as a defense mechanism. See, humans act to avoid pain. It's because we're humans. And so when we are are injected with pain or we are exposed to pain, uh, we tend to try to avoid the, that type of pain. And so we do that in a lot of different ways. And I could spend hours just giving examples of how human beings try to avoid pain. But consider this as the, the principal example of this podcast. I'm a physician, as I'm sure you are aware, uh, and I just worked last night. And so I'm a little sleep deprived doing this podcast. Uh, but patients can come to us or can present to my emergency room with a multiple list, a symptom, a list of multiple symptoms, all different types of symptoms that they are experiencing. And as a physician, I can treat the symptoms. I can send them out the door with seven different prescriptions that all treat the various symptoms that they have, but they wouldn't leave feeling like I was a very good doctor. They would want to know what the problem is. What is the disease? What is the root cause of the symptoms? And when we don't understand the root cause, when we don't understand the disease, we don't understand the problem, all we tend to do is focus on the symptoms. And I believe that the church today and the secular world have been guilty of chasing after symptoms and ignoring the root cause. See, I believe there's all sorts of identity issues that we face as human beings. The one my wife and I tend to teach on quite frequently is what we would call spiritual identity crisis. That we have to understand that we were sons and daughters placed into the Garden of Eden at the very beginning of time. And over time, the enemy has lied to us and has taken away our sonship or our daughtership. And because of that, we actually look to other people to try to fulfill a need that only a father can fill. And it creates this domino effect of behavior in church, in family, in homes, in personal relationships because of a misunderstanding and because of a lie that's been given to us about our identity. It's a spiritual identity crisis. But we can even break it down more into the everyday world. And, and, and again, this podcast isn't just for Christians or people who understand the kingdom, but people who are just living every day, um, not understanding the world in which they live. Because I believe there's also social identity crisis. You can have a social identity crisis, the way that we interact with people. And we see that manifested in many different behaviors that people have. Let me give you some examples. There can be people who suffer, and I use the word suffer, from anger, anger issues. And you say, well, were they born with it? Did they, did they, uh, is it just a choice? Can they just choose to not be angry? Well, anger is a defense mechanism that is given to us because of a social identity crisis. And what anger does is it pushes people away. It keeps people at arm's length so they can't hurt you. So people flare up and, and they become loud and red in the face and everybody else backs off. 
or extreme shyness or people who are, are reclusive. I believe that our teenagers and young adults, because of social media and because of their smartphones and because of video games, have actually become reclusive. Why is that? I believe it's actually a defense mechanism because of pain that the social environment is actually exposing them to. People can be easily offended or, or manipulate people. What is that? It's a defense mechanism so that they can't be hurt. What about a self-identity crisis? Again, I work in an emergency room. I see this all the time. And it often manifests itself even in brain chemistry and the way that we feel about ourselves. Self-image, depression, anxiety, uh, psychiatric illnesses that take place because even the brain chemistry changes because of the image that we have about ourselves, And that ultimately can lead to even suicidality, which unfortunately we're seeing at an increased rate than ever before. So here in society, we have people, fellow Americans, brothers and sisters, who are having gender identity crisis, or we can say sexual identity crisis. And why should we be surprised? Why would that be any different than other these other crises that we are exposed to each and every day and that we have to deal with and battle with? Let's make no mistake, we're in a battle. We've been born into a battle where the enemy wants to uh, make us impotent, wants to make us lifeless, wants to make us um, uh, immovable. And he does that through pain and through trauma and the things that we are exposed to. So when we talk about gender identity crisis, where's the crisis? What is the crisis? What, what could we postulate is contributing to a gender identity crisis? Well, with your permission, I'd like to read some statistics to you that I think is going to blow your mind. I, I honestly can't even fathom this, um, and yet I believe it speaks volumes. This is from the Statistics uh, National Center for Victims of Crime. And it says the prevalence of child sexual abuse is difficult to determine because it is often not reported. So any number of statistics that I give you here over the next five minutes, you have to understand that's most likely an underreported number. Ex experts agree that the incidence is far greater than what is reported to authorities. And so the statistics below represent some of the research done on sexual abuse. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Children's Bureau report that child maltreatment found that 9.2% of victimized children were sexually assaulted. And listen to this. One in five girls and one in 20 boys is a victim of child sexual abuse. I believe the number in girls goes to one in four when we simply talk about sexual assault. One in five girls and one in 20 boys is a victim of child sexual abuse. Self-report studies show that 20% of adult females and 10% of adult males recall a childhood sexual assault or sexual abuse incident. Remember, that's just what they can recall. During a one-year period in the United States, 16% of youth ages 14 to 17 have been sexually victimized. 16%. And over the course of their lifetime, 28% of U.S. youth aged 14 to 17 have been sexually victimized. 
That's almost one in three. And it says that children are most vulnerable between the ages of 7 and 13. 7 and 13. According to the Institute of Justice report, three out of four adolescents who have been sexually assaulted were victimized by someone they knew well. And listen to this. The Bureau of Justice Statistics report shows 1.6%, that's 16 out of 1,000 children, between the ages of 12 and 17, were victims of rape and sexual assault. That's a big number. A study conducted in uh, 1986 found that 63% of women who had suffered sexual abuse by a family member also reported a rape or attempted rape after the age of 14. So patterns start to form. Children who have experienced uh, of a rape or attempted rape in their adolescent years were 14 times more likely to experience rape or attempted rape in their first year of college. These statistics are staggering. A child who is the victim of prolonged sexual abuse usually develops low self-esteem, a feeling of worthlessness, and an abnormal or distorted view of sex. I'm going to read that again. A child who is the victim of prolonged sexual abuse usually develops low self-esteem, a feeling of worthlessness, and an abnormal or distorted view of sex. This shouldn't surprise us. This makes perfect sense. But the science and studies are proving that to be true. A child may become withdrawn and mistrustful of adults and can become suicidal. Children who do not live with both parents as well as children living in homes marked by parental discord, divorce, or domestic violence, have a higher risk of being sexually abused. Compared to those with no history of sexual abuse, young males who are sexually abused were five times more likely to cause teen pregnancy, three times more likely to have multiple sexual partners, and two times more likely to have unprotected sex. All of this seems to make sense. So what is happening with gender identity? Let me, let me postulate this for you. I don't believe, this is my perspective, I don't believe that those who are suffering from homosexuality or the LGBT community, I don't believe it's genetic and I don't believe they're born that way. In fact, science has studied that and looking for a begin quote, end quote, gay gene and have not found that. Science simply does not back that up, nor does biology. But I also believe that it's not a choice, as many have speculated. We can't just tell people don't feel this way. I believe it is acquired. And that's a sentiment that Dr. James Dobson had as well, and I would have to agree with him. It is acquired. It's acquired through life experience, pain, and trauma. So if I told you that the LGBT community in America is 4.5% prevalence, based on everything that I just read, I think I would say that I'm surprised that it's only 4.5%. Because it leads to an abnormal or distorted view of sex. That's what pain and trauma does. 
sexual pain and trauma. So let me go back to just the simple one statistic. 1.6, almost 2% of children between the ages 12 through 17 were victims of rape and sexual assault. If we just take that group alone, we shouldn't be surprised that they would have gender identity problems that they would have sexual identity problems, just that group alone. And that group is probably incredibly underreported. So if we just take that cohort and study them and follow them through, I think we'd be surprised. I think that we would be enlightened that the LGBT community is composed mostly of those people. I know it's a big statement, but this is my experience as well. I, I live in a community where we're not exposed to a large population of LGBT uh, people. But those who I have treated or cared for, it's 100%. I can look down their chart and I could predict almost with complete certainty what the background is. And it's abuse after abuse after abuse after abuse. And it breaks your heart to open a chart and to see the background. And you're even surprised that people survive the things that they have gone through. It's heartbreaking. So why are we shocked and surprised that they would have identity confusion, sexual identity crisis? So here we are today facing this conversation as this is becoming more and more in the forefront of Americana and our culture. And we as the church, we don't know what to do. Well, we have done something. And if we look back over the past several decades of church history, what has happened is, is that we have approached these people who are in pain. And I would like to say severe pain and trauma. And the church has rejected and ostracized them. They have put pickets, signs in their face that says that you're going to hell. And we have, as the church, as I began this podcast, focused on behavior and not the problem, not the root disease, not the root cause. What is the root cause? The root cause is identity. Their identity has been taken away through trauma and pain, and, and most of the time, almost exclusively at no, because of no fault of their own. And the church has focused on the symptoms as if, hilariously, that if we turn them into a heterosexual, they're going to go to heaven. <laughs> that's, that's not biblical. That's not going to change them. But it's the homosexual behavior that has become so abhorrent to us that we reject them outright because how they're behaving and have completely ignored the heart of the problem, which are people in pain. The church has rejected and ostracized them. Even science and medicine have abandoned them, in my opinion. There's a book called the DSM-4, which is a, a, the book of psychiatry that classifies psychiatric illnesses and, and gender identity problems, confusion, was always listed in DSM-4 up until 1973. And in 1973, as quoted through Psychology Today, the DSM-4 committee made a statement that said rapidly evolving social constructs 
let me start again, rapidly evolving social constructs that change as society changes. And so they put it to a vote. They asked their members to vote whether homosexuality should be removed from the DSM-4. And it wasn't based on science. It was based on social pressure. And so even science who initially classified somebody who needed help and needed psychiatric help, needed, needed counselors to help them through their pain and their trauma, have been abandoned by science and medicine. And so if they take the position that evolving social constructs can change as society changes, then where is the limit? What about pedophilia? Pedophilia currently is listed under the DSM-4, but what if that just becomes more common and changes as society changes? Will they vote to remove that too? You may laugh and say, well, that would be outlandish. That used to be the way they felt about homosexuality. See, there's a slippery slope if we take what is common and call it normal. But I want to take this one step further because I think this is critically important. I believe, and this is going to raise some eyebrows, I believe that the secular and the liberal societies have also abandoned this group of people. Because I believe that they don't want to deal with the problems and the pain. So I believe they have done what I believe is the most cruel and insensitive approach that one group of people can do to another, is they have taken their pain and their trauma and they have called it normal. You take a group of hurting, marginalized people in severe pain and feeling isolated, and, and, and it has resulted in this group being defined by their behavior. The church has rejected them. Medicine has rejected them. And now the secular and liberal groups have rejected them and their pain. You may say, no, they support them and they encourage them. But what they are doing is they're simply saying, I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to dig in and go deep into your hurt. So let's just call it normal. And all this has done, including the church's action, has done something unprecedented in a group of people defined by behavior, sexual behavior. That's what this is, is that it has become their identity. I am LGBT. You'll hear it all the time. And I would submit to you that there are no other groups that define themselves through their behavior. We don't go around and say, I am a heterosexual. I am someone who suffers from anxiety. I am an angry person. I am schizophrenic. I am a bowler or an artist. These are activities that we do that doesn't define us or bring us our identity. They are actions that come out of our identity. And so if there is gender confusion, it's coming from a place of hurt and pain that is resulting in confusion. It makes sense. So this podcast is simply an introduction to how we need to approach people who are hurting and who are in pain. And whose statistics would show with almost 100% certainty. I say almost. 
the result of sexual abuse and pain, relational pain in their lives. It's changed their brain chemistry. It's not something they can just choose to walk away from, but it's something that can be result, that's something that needs healing. And then the behaviors will take care of themselves. We have to take care of who we are and our identity. This is our burden now as we face this world. Unfortunately, if I can be so bold, this is our bed that the church has made. Now we need to sleep in it. We need to to examine the way that we have treated our fellow brothers and sisters. And we need to approach them as Jesus would. WWJD. (laughs) What would Jesus do? We know what the Bible says he did. We know. It says that he went to them. He went into the brothels. He went into those places where people were suffering from sexual issues and identity problems. And he restored them. And he healed them. He didn't focus on behavior. He focused on their heart. So what do we do? How do we respond? What is a healthy social and political culture? We talk about this Equality Act. How do we approach that as a church in a healthy way so that we respect each other, that we honor each other, but that we bring real health and healing to people's lives that we don't focus on the symptoms but we focus on the disease and we bring the cure this is what i would like to talk about over the next several weeks we'll see what happens in this world and what order it brings in but please stay tuned and please share this especially with your older children who deal with this topic every single day and we don't know what to say or what to do so we cower in the corner that's not what this podcast is about This podcast is about bringing real change, real truth, real life, real transformation to our culture. What would Jesus do? Let's focus on his heart and his love for people. So let's take this as an introduction and let's go forward. I would love to hear your feedback, love to hear your perspective on this important topic that isn't going to go away, folks. We don't get to bury our head in the sand. It's a great opportunity to love in an unprecedented way. That's what this world is calling for. That's what this community, this LGBT community is calling for. Just like any of us, to be loved and healed. So let's go together now to set and shape the culture.